Hi there, I'm Laura Nyasita Ondari, and this is the Science in Real Life podcast. I'm a bioinformatician with a background in medical biochemistry, and on this podcast, I bring you the inside scoop of the reality of a STEM career from candid conversations with individuals in the field. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get right into today's episode. And hi, welcome back to another episode of the Science in Real Life podcast. This is going to be the last episode of season one. And I thought, you know, you've been listening to all the episodes of all the amazing guests that we've had. Uh, but for this last episode, I thought it would be good for you guys to get to know me. So I did recruit one of my dear friends to interview me and... Um, Hopefully we get into some things. Welcome, Laura. Um, so thank you, Nora, for having me today. It's a real privilege to be on your podcast today as a host. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, uh, is so this your first time hosting? Yeah, this is... Yeah, this is definitely my first time hosting anything. Yeah. I'm on the podcast, I'm feeling very excited about this. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah. it's usually so, easier to be on that side and to be on the receiving end. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so, so are you ready for the question? Uh, for someone who's been doing this 10 episodes in, I know I don't feel ready, but I think it's very important for the audience to get to know who they're, who to know the vision of why we started this podcast and why it's been instrumental for upcoming researchers or STEM people. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited for the episode, actually. All right, so I'll be, I'll be easy on you. I will try to lead to feeling. Um, so my first question to you, Laura, is uh, very easy. So when did you first realize that you had a passion for science, particularly for bioinformatics? Anna, good question. I think I actually also had to answer this question in a recent uh, interview we did, I did with DW. If you've not checked it out, just go through our video, find it. But I never remember when I actually realized that I had enough for science. I... I just noticed that it came easy to me, like through primary school, high school. I just noticed this is not something that I have to really rack my brain to understand or to get. And when it came time to choosing courses for campus, I was just like, this might be an easy way. And funny thing, biochemistry was not even my uh, initial choice, or not even initial choice, but like my first choice choice for a degree to do. I had chosen architectural studies, pharmacy, so medical biochemistry with third choice. And I landed there, but I would not be who I am without having gone through the through the medi- medical biochemistry course. But I really enjoyed it. I I loved every module that we did. I thought it was the best thing that I ever did. Just to understand body processes, molecular functions, things like those. And when I completed my undergrad, I, 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 of course, tried to do different professions because you never truly know what you want to do with your career until you've done a bit of elimination, things that you know you absolutely do not want to do. So um, after a year of just uh, being in communications, I was in digital communications uh, for a company here in Kenya. And I realized I did still enjoy science, so I started applying for scholarships and I luckily landed the Eastern Africa Bioinformatics Training Network, ENBIT, uh, for my master's. And I loved doing bioinformatics, I loved programming. I love decoding genetic data using different bioinformatic techniques, skills, tools. And here I am. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very interesting. 
So was there a particular experience you had or a particular moment where you knew for a fact that you wanted to do bioinformatics? Not really. Um, it might come as a shocker when we did our final year of undergrad, we had a module of bioinformatics. Well, I had felt at it, but like, I kept wondering, what is this? We were not taught properly, to be honest. We were only taught about like the databases and how to navigate them. So I did not really see the essence. But after undergrad, I went ahead to intern at the Bioinformatics Institute of Kenya. And that's when I really learned the programming. So I, I noticed that I liked it when, when we were doing that uh, internship. Because now we got to get a hands-on experience and working with different data sets, working with different uh, files and decoding different things that helped me to decipher that this is what I wanted to do for my career. So I can see that that was the point. I noticed this is what I wanted to do. Uh, but before that, I really had no idea where my career was going. I'm grateful to be in this point in life. So you're currently a bioinformatician at IITU, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so for your current role as a bioinformatician um, at IITU, are there any particular steps you took to secure this role? Well, I'm, I'm just going to reiterate what uh, Siobhan Mackenzie Hall said in episode 8. Definitely go for it. I remember when, before I came to IIT, I, I was volunteering in a lot of things because I I had really been trying to apply for stuff and not, okay, I was getting a lot of rejection. So on one particular day, uh, one of my colleagues from the Bioinformatics Hub of Kenya reached out to me and told me they were conducting um a training so he asked me to go and help out just to ensure that participants were getting while writing in the right code they were getting enough support so he was teaching and i was just helping participants in case they had any issues uh, with the code or with the software or not understanding something so because i was still um i i, I still did not have anything what i was doing uh, besides just learning and upskilling and taking on different projects here and there, I volunteered to, uh, to go to to him and shock him out. And I think because you put yourself out there and you practice your skills and you do, I, I was doing the work as diligently as I could. Um, I was able to be spotted and that's how I got this opportunity. So definitely putting yourself out there, iterating your playing and not, not iterating, but like voicing your goals and voicing that you're looking for something. Never be ashamed to say that, you know, I don't have something I'm working on right now. If you have a spot, I would love to, you know, join in. So I got it from putting myself out there, um, stating that I did have something and also just really being good at what I was doing. I think that's what ultimately helped me get here. And of course, a good word from the people that you're uh, working with, I think, okay, I don't know this for sure, but I think when the colleague was helping out, maybe the, his bosses so that this is someone who, who is willing to come here and who has skills that we are looking for, that's how I got here. And yeah, uh, but I do understand that there are people who do not have opportunities like this, but just putting your thoughts and your goals out there and your wishes as cliche as it sounds, can help a lot. All right. Um, so I understand that you're still in your early career as a scientist. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've already gone through certain challenges and had certain wins through yeah. your um, journey so far. So are there any challenges or any breakthroughs you've had so far that you would like to share with us? Challenges. Let me see. Of course, yeah, yeah, there are challenges. Ch uh, thing is, I I still feel like we have a shortage of opportunities. Um, 
the way the bioinformatics landscape is structured probably would be a supply side initiative where there are most people most people are trained in bioinformatics but are there enough opportunities for these bioinformaticians to practice their skills or to projects to work on so that uh, they lead to impactful research or impactful outputs that can then help society. I think the challenge that I have faced a lot would be that. But in terms of learning and upskilling, there are very many resources when it comes to bi bioinformatics, as opposed to like much lab courses like biochemistry, which you really needed to, like you have to find a lab. You have to find reagents. There's no way you can practice using simulations or anything. But because bioinformatics is majorly programming there, there are ways you can teach yourself. So prob probably I'm noticing the areas that you want to, to get skilled on and now trying to find those opportunities for yourself so that you're able to practice your skills. Another uh Previously, I used to face the challenge of were actually people who can mentor me in this field. But then for me, uh, when I went through my internship and my master's, I was able to identify people to look up to and people I could share my career journey with who were able to advise me accordingly. So I do understand the way undergraduates never know what to do with their life. After after graduating, but it's good to identify these people. I can say my mentors really helped me streamline some of my applications. Also helped me um, in finding opportunities and actually honing my skills in areas that I was interested in. So, although that used to be a challenge, it's not a challenge anymore now. Yeah, I think those those would be the challenges I would say I would I had peace. And probably just the sheer confusion of where is my career heading and feeling like you might be stuck in the rabbit hole of academia, just moving from level to level to level to level. But with proper mentorship you're able to have a much clearer picture and see how you can carve your your career in whatever direction you want it to go. I know, right. I, I know you're in the field as well. Did you face similar challenges as I did? Personally, uh, I 100% agree with you on uh, the challenges that we face as bioinformaticians. And um, yeah, majorly it's it's how to find your foot in the, or how to put your foot into the industry and having the right people around you helps a lot. So yeah. I would agree that having a good network of um, people that support you and people that mentor you goes a long way in helping you grow in the uh, bench practice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've talked about having people to help you and uh, people to mentor you and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for someone that's listening and they're um, doing the undergraduate or just finished the undergraduate, this might feel like, so where do I even start, right? Yeah, yeah. So what advice would you give to someone that wants to follow a similar career path like you um, mm. in bioinformatics? Where would yeah. you mm. um, recommend they start? I truly resonate with this statement that you might not know where to start. But I think something that I benefited a lot from was volunteering in as many courses that interested me as possible. So in my undergrad, even the way I was able to learn the internship of the Bioinformatics Institute of Kenya was by volunteering to be the organizing secretary of a club at school. So when we were organizing one of the events in school, I was able to meet the director of the Bioinformatics Institute of Kenya and so after school, I was able to email them and say, hi, I just completed uh, my undergrad and I'm interested in bioinformatics. Do you have a position in your lab uh, where I could pursue this and just see if it's actually the career for me? Um, of course, that took a while. I finished in like August and only started my internship in next year in June. So it took almost a year for that to happen. But... Had I not done that, probably I would not have gotten it. But also, 
besides just volunteering to be in the organizing teams of these clubs and societies, also just attending industry events. Um, I know there, there's a shortage of them in the biomedical space within Kenya, but you can find some that are online. And now you see after the pandemic, most of them are usually hybrid, so you can find uh, virtual spots to attend or just, just um, I want to say volunteering because sometimes volunteering can go on forever and nothing comes out of it. But clubs and societies are truly the way to go. And industry events, those two things, they help you reach, like they, they give you a direct link to some of these people that might have hiring opportunities within their research labs or within their institutions. Yeah. And as I said earlier, uh, just state your goals, what you're looking for. You never know. All right. So the main things here are try to find networks by going to events and actually meeting people. Yeah. And yeah, putting yourself out there and applying for things that you might be afraid to. Right. And, yeah. All right. And, so and actually, I think another thing is that after undergrad, people make so many applications with the same <laughs> With the same CV and the same motivation letter. So try to find things that you're actually interested in and apply for those ones. Sometimes you might cast your net so wide. And then if it doesn't, I don't know. It's, it's, anyway, apply for things that you're interested in. Because if they pan out, you're in a better direction of your career than just casting the net and catching any kind of fish. All right. Um, so obviously bioinformatics is a very intense science and it's a very intense field. Mm. Are there any things that you do personally to help yourself stay focused and stay balanced? Yeah. Um, I think it's important to be able to have a work slash study and life balance. It's, you cannot, it can be all work and no pay, right? Uh, it's yeah, it's important to have that balance. So for me, I thoroughly enjoy reading. There's nothing I love like reading. Uh, different types of books, autobiographies, fictional books, sci-fi, like all those, any kind of book you'll find my nose stuck in it. I also just like hanging out with friends. I think it helps uh, in sharing ideas um, and just, you know, sh- sharing of course professional ideas but also just life life experiences and that can help decompress and distract you from you know sometimes the high demanding jobs that we're doing uh the third thing is like i love visiting places i love adventure so you might find me just visiting bookshops or museums or just places where there are people um yeah, I'm a shy extrovert, but I love the energy where where people are. So you'll find me at a social event in some way or the other. Personally, I know you're someone that's very focused and someone that has a plan. So my question to you is, what is your long-term plan for your career in the field of mathematics? Oh, that's a good question. Um... I don't know if I'm really focused or planned, but what this here has shown me is that you might plan and God will be laughing. Like he has better in store for you than what you think. <laughs> but yeah, uh, my, my long-term goals are definitely to contribute to impactful scientific research, whether that will be using my bioinformatic skills or in whatever way I decide to my my career, my end goal is to contribute to meaningful scientific research. Uh, right now, I feel a strong urge to advance my studies, but probably next year, not this year, in 2024. Um, and that comes from the fact that I, I, I feel like I still have a lot more to learn then, and studies might be a good way to go. Um, but I also want to to ensure that people have enough information as they come into any, any STEM career. That's why I have this podcast. 
Um, so just equipping people with some of the real world experiences of it, that they may go through and advancing myself so that I'm suitable for, I'm suitable to be more impactful research in the future. I think those, those are my goals right now. But you never know, it might change because I still enjoy uh, communications. I, I, one thing I have reiterated throughout this podcast is that you are a multifaceted person. You don't have to just do one thing. You can do multiple things uh, that interest you and you just bring your best to everything that you do. Okay. And uh, could you talk to us a little bit about what you're currently working on, on your, at your current position? And are there any specific projects that you're excited about for the future? Well, I'm not going to go into the actual details, um, but at this toughest level description would be that we're decoding the genetic detail of different plant species. And this is going into improving the variety of crops that farmers are growing um, throughout. I was about to say Kenya, but like essentially it's everywhere. Yeah, so that's what I'm working on right now. And I find this really important because um, last year Kenya would say to have been going through the worst drought of 40 years, so actually developing. Uh, varieties of crops that are resistant to disease, resistant to drought. Feels really impactful to me and I can't wait to see what we get through this research and how it impacts um, the local oh, citizens of the world. Not even the local citizens, but citizens of the world. Any future projects that you're looking forward to? Uh, none that I can see at the moment because how we work is from project to project. So we don't know what the next project might be. But as long as it's going to improve uh, the quality of life of every human being, or at least some humans, I'm super stoked to be in it. So yeah, I, ho I hope that will be, that is the trajectory of where I am at and it will continue to be like that. Probably an interesting thing that I would say is maybe a typical day uh, of a information like me. Of course, you'll come to the office and you'll write some code, you interpret the output and examine the inputs. Then you'll go home and do it over again. But then after a period of time, you'll have quality output that you, that you can then interpret as result, which then go, or that should be analyzed until the research is impactful to citizens of the world okay um so Thanks. let's now talk about yeah. the podcast and what's your inspiration for starting the science and Relax podcast <laughs> what would you say inspired you to start this podcast now this one i know why i started and like the science question where i did i did not <laughs> know where they love uh originated from but this a couple of friends of mine and I will just hang out and we wondered like we have vastly different experiences uh, within our careers and I remember telling one of my friends I wish I had such stories when I was doing my undergraduate because when you're feeling this sheer confusion where you don't know where to begin where to go what to do who to reach out to it helps that you know that someone is also going through it, but someone went through it and how they came out of that period of life. So when I was starting this, I, would, I had that in mind. I, I thought, I want to create a platform where I just connect different stories of individuals in STEM as a way to give them the inside scope of the reality of a STEM career. So I, I didn't know how to execute. I had this idea for a long time. I can't say... I had it since 2019, just immediately after my undergrad. But it took me a long time to actualize the idea because, of course, I was fighting a lot of imposter syndrome, asking myself, who who do I think I am to, to host a platform like this? And also just thinking, 
there are podcasts like this out there. So why do I want to add to, why do I want to pursue something that's already existent? But to quote, um, I recently was at the Indaba, the declining Indaba, and one of the talks by Pilonomi, she said, they, let me ask read it, if I don't say it wrong, they said, the real skill and talent is in the execution and not the idea. So most people have had this idea and have actually executed it, but are there podcasts accessible? Do people know about them? Do they have a diverse range of guests that people can listen to their stories and relate to? And um, I thought I could create this and there's never a shortage of stories in as much as many people are also doing this there's never a shortage of stories that people can relate to so when i started it i just thought i will the, the different thing that i'll be doing is that i will just be shouting from the rooftops so that everyone can flock onto the podcast and listen to these stories i'm not trying to say i'm the best out there but i think this platform is really impactful for people who are at a crossroads in their careers or people who are just looking for an extra boot extra boost of motivation <laughs> to continue in their STEM um, careers. So we have a, we've just this will be the last episode of season one and I I have seen the ju- just from the ten episodes that we put out, I have seen the impact that a podcast can have, not just for me but also our listeners and our fans. And going into uh, subsequent seasons, I see this growing even further and further. My goal is to have uh, an educational resource for people who are in STEM careers, especially in science where we do not get enough of these stories. We do not get um, enough people saying, hi, I went through this, you're going through this, and you will come out of it. So. That's why I began this platform and I have a vision for it. Hopefully I'm able to achieve it, but I'm diligent in what I'm doing right now. And that's all I, that's what I can offer each right now. But hopefully we get into some fellowships, um, maybe some finding opportunities to hold like conferences, seminars, meet and greet, maybe directly connect students to researchers or maybe have speed mentorship. I, I don't know yet the possibilities or, or the potential of the science in real life, but I know it's going to be big, so I'm keeping that tilt. All right, great. Um, so um, you've talked about you have a vision for the podcast, <laughs> and I think um, everyone that's listening would like to know what this vision is. So where do you see your podcast going in the next year or two? Small. So as I said, um, I'm looking for it to be an educational resource for people in STEM careers. I don't know how we're going to navigate it, but I want, my, my vision is to see people motivated to stay inside. There's so much brain drain and people dropping out of the field, going to, I don't know, business fields, cons field. And there's nothing wrong with that. But like, what I, what I want this to be is that it teaches you, it motivates you, and it gives you an inside scope of what it can be, however good or bad. But if you listen to it and it encourages you to stay in the field, then I would have achieved the goal. But um, maybe in the next day, I'm hoping to actually hold the first live event from the small network I've created from the from this podcast, I think we can we can bring together people who are interested in staying in science and asking people who can act as mentors and keynotes, just also share their stories. We've not had someone who's to the magnitude of a principal investigator or someone who's really high in rank in science, or oh, except for Yu Yehudi, she's an executive director of OLS, but. I think having such an event would really stand out 
because I've not seen any. Probably it's due to my ignorance, but I've really not seen any. At least here in Kenya. I don't know, we could do hybrid so that people from other countries can also tap into it as well. Because from our listenership, we know we have fans from almost all the continents in the world, probably except Antarctica. But like, we have at least a representation from everywhere. So, yeah, I think that would be would be nice. But eventually, all the stories, might, I want them to communicate to an educational resource to help people in STEM. That's really my goal. I will see, we'll see how it goes. They said in the beginning, this year has been about making plans and God last, but I'm hoping it has <laughs> better in store for me. Yeah. And for the podcast. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, I think our live event would be very interesting. I personally would be interested. Um, so, so I have followed through your journey with the podcast right from the very first episode and personally I've seen the growth in the podcast and your growth as a host. So are there any early experiences you had or early challenges you had with the podcast? And can you share some of the challenges we had at their own with us? Wow. Yeah, of course, I would say the, the very first one was what I already mentioned, which is imposter syndrome. And then the next thing I was thinking, I needed all this sophisticated equipment. Um, <laughs> but then when I eventually just say, just go for it, just do it, you will improve with time. I think also something you said in episode six is that if, if you don't put, if you don't put the effort to do something, it will not happen. Or, you know, you might put your effort in, does it happen? That's better than saying, I will not do anything. That's just better to start than to see where it goes from there. And honestly, that's what I did. I just took a pair of earphones, had my laptop with me, went onto YouTube, learned how to record a podcast over Zoom, learned how to edit. And I just stumbled onto the software that I'm using. I didn't even know. <laughs> that you could get like a non-commercial software for things like this. But I just went for it and started. And of course, if you hear our very fine episodes, you'll notice the sound quality is not the best. The editing is not <laughs> very good. But surprisingly, those are the episodes that our audience has truly gravitated towards compared to the ones that we vastly improved our audio. And also, yeah, growth comes from a lot of experience. I, after recording nine episodes of this, I now know how to create a flowing conversation. So it doesn't feel like question, answer, question, answer. It just feels like I'm having a conversation with the person on the other end of the screen. Um, and also really listening to a lot of other creators. What are they doing? How are they making their episodes turn out? I think like those have really helped with the growth. So I'm hoping to see more. We've not stopped learning. You can never know enough. You can never do, uh, I, I don't want to say you can never do enough, but like it will, it will not be the best now. It continues to be greater and greater and greater as you move on. So can't wait for the turn when we get invited to Spotify studios <laughs> to record an episode and meet some people probably make this um even bigger with a bigger reach than what we have now but thank you to the over a thousand people that have listened to all the episodes that we've put out it's it's really heartwarming to see that we are doing something that people are fans of okay um so your podcast is about science and people's journey in the science field but I can tell you for a fact that even non-science people can relate to some of the things that are said in your podcast, right? Yeah. Personally, I listen to the podcast out loud, like in a picture in the house. So everyone that's in my space is going to listen by force. And yeah, wow. it's not, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like a class or like a science boring podcast. It sounds no. like people's experiences at the end of the day are very relatable, whether you're in the science field or not. And most of them um, are 
uh, guests you've had have had very interesting stories. Um, so how do you choose the topics or the themes that you bring onto your podcast episodes? Uh, initially, I thought I would go theme-wise, but this far I've just been finding people who I think have an interesting story to tell. So there's not really been a theme for season one. Probably that's something we'll be looking to explore in the next seasons. But um, with the season, we've just been tapping into our networks. Uh, people that we know or like people we think will be interesting to have. And that's what we've done. The underlying thing that we want to to have throughout that is consistent is this is the story. People have different experiences, but there's a way, there's a way to succeed in it. Whether you're looking to do a PhD, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're just looking to stay in the field, there's something for everyone. And as you said, yes, the audience is diverse because stories in chiller form are relatable to everyone. We are not here trying to tell you this is how to be packed. This is how to, you know, to install a software that will not be relatable to everyone, but like stories, like the ones that we have are, are meant to a wider audience, regardless of what field they're in. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's really nice to see other people also tapping into what we have and we never know, maybe, maybe it might change from science and real life to just this in real life. Like this is the real life or a career person. We don't know how that trajectory would go. But for now, we're keeping it within the STEM fields because that's where I have expertise in or rather I will be able to relate to those stories. First and foremost, I was creating something that would be relatable to me. But our audience compels us to do other stories as well or we should refuse. All right. And um, so what would you say has been your favorite episode to record? I know we've had like, um, you've had like 10 episodes so far. So what has been your favorite? That's a really good question. I, I don't think I really have a favorite. Every episode that I have recorded with all of my guests has really been eye-opening and educative to me. So I think everyone has brought a unique aspect to their episode, which resonates widely with a lot of people as well as myself. It's hard to choose. It's hard to choose. All of them were so good. <laughs> it's like, it which sounds one was like you very dramatic. My... No, no. To be honest, I'm, I'm being very honest. I have thought through it. Episode one, HK founders. Episode two, the scholarships. Episode uh, climbing the career ladder. All of this, they have they they had so much. They have a wealth of information that it's hard to just pick one. Unless you see it, maybe in climbing the career ladder, what was your best? Then maybe I would say, Ah, Anita's story was really good and relatable in her own person in STEM and how she's been able to navigate. But just best of a row, I don't think I can choose. <laughs> okay. What was the best for you? Um, I would say personally, um, the second or third episode where you had uh, someone talk about the how to apply for PhDs and how to get scholarships. That was very eye-opening. Um, and also the episode where you had the OLS founder. She was a ball of energy and she had such good vibes. I love that episode. And her story was very good as well. Yeah relatable to me and I, I would maybe say that the episodes I liked were episodes I could relate to but uh, definitely other people have different favorites right depending on what's touched or um, what they could relate to yeah I think I'll so I'm just going to push an agenda mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. and go ahead and ask you what who has been your favorite guest so yeah just just pick anyone just pick someone that's so, not so bad you're trying to get me cancelled. Um, <laughs> well, I think then we, we have not had my favorite guest on the episode just yet. 
Um, but all of them have really been amazing, taking the time to tell us their stories, their experiences, their ups, their downs. Um, but probably I would say myself, because I've been there for all of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that's a bit narcissistic. All right. So you talked about, so you've said, so you've said you've not had your favorite guest yet. Um, so you've decided that you liked all your guests and everyone was your favorite. I'll take that. So do you have a dream guest or someone you'd really love to have on your podcast in the future? Maybe they would hear this episode and want to come. Yeah, certainly. Um, I recently saw Jeff Dean at the Indamba. He's the, he's Google's chief scientist. If I had him on my podcast, that would be like, wow pick making it but it, I think everyone is a dream to, to have and this is not to even sound diplomatic but because we're creating a wealth of experiences here that people can listen and relate to everyone who brings a unique part of themselves to it already contributes largely to what we have or what we're trying to do or generally what they sent in real life is about so yes i would say all the celebrities in the world but all the guests i will have and all the the audience members that take the time to listen are our greatest resource and our most valuable part of the podcast so yeah i think all of you who are listening you're the really piece but if jeff dean came I don't know yours. No kidding. <laughs> All right. Is so Jeff Dean, no. out to Laura. Listen. Yeah, she'd love to have him in the podcast. I heard she'll be um, like, he'll listen. But we'll see. Irene, you had the chance to tell him you have a, you had a podcast while you were at Indama. So if you didn't do that, you played yourself, girl. Yeah, <laughs> I really did. I really did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, how old is the podcast? How long have you been on this journey? Well, we launched the very first episode in April. I think April 12th. So a little over six months. Or how many months is it? April, May, June, July, August, September. Oh, not even six months yet. So we're five months old. Yeah. As of this recording, we are five months old. So I saw. So just as a follower, um, in the five months that you've had the podcast running, mm-hmm. um, what, how have you, or what strategies have you used to grow your audience? I do. You already have an Instagram account, and you post a lot there. Are there any other social um, platforms that you? use to grow your audience um yeah so we're on linkedin that's where most of our fans are uh just in by the by the follow account yeah we also have instagram as you said but we also have twitter okay i'm not calling it X, okay. but we have twitter <laughs> and um yeah I, I think we on the on the podcast we've not run any paid ads so every single follower and comment and engagement that we have is truly organic it's just people who are vibing with our content who are maybe relating to the stories that are there being our biggest supporters so yeah we have a presence also on all streaming platforms where people get their podcasts uh majorly on spotify where we podcast is hosted but we're also on castbox google podcasts amazon music or as all podcasters would see wherever you get your podcast you'll find us there yeah so um the trajectory is going well we've not hit a plateau we're just onwards and upward but we also want to to create or to bring stories that are sustainable that people will never stop listening to um and we want to really offer a unique a, a unique way of getting or rather listening to the stories 
we also do a lot of engagement on our platforms where we ask questions, repost uh, great resources for people who are maybe starting out, for people who are in the undergrad, looking into the future, we hope to partner with institutions that are really keen on capacity development, capacity building. This is in a way to bring people who are interested in learning with partners who already have established infrastructure for providing this learning to these different learners. We don't know how that uh, value proposition would be from us, but we do bring a unique of the audience of people who have the curiosity for it. So uh, we'll see how to shape it, but I have no doubt that it, it would be a good thing for, for our fans and us as well. So be on the lookout for things like this. They're coming definitely within the year towards the end or in the near future. How has your journey with the podcast and being a podcast host impacted your personal and professional life? Have there been any in the last five months? Well, it's connected me to some beautiful and amazing scientists. First of all, those who've been featured guests. Yeah, so so besides the amazing guests who've been able to share their experiences from which I have gathered a lot of knowledge and and advice from. Um, we also usually get like DMs of people saying, Hi, I listened to this episode and I can resonate with what this particular guest was saying. Thank you for putting this out there and that's the most fulfilling part of um, having, like, producing, executing, creating the platform is to see, like, the change that we are able to impact onto our audience. So, yeah, that's, those are the two ways I would say it has changed my life, but also uh, connecting with, uh, with a diverse audience. It's also really nice, <laughs> but then always just being fearful of am I the, the right person to be doing this, and then getting that reassurance from seeing that many people are tapping into the episodes, listening, sharing, engaging with the content, it, it reassures the efforts that I'm trying to do with this, and of course with my co-host now coming in, we might have a wider and rich of oh yeah for the podcast so uh, i think how it's ultimately going to change my life is not here yet i believe this will be a big thing that i will just be saying wow remember when you just had a laptop and earphones and now you're here <laughs> yeah so that's that's what i see in the in the future with Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so, as a podcaster, have you developed any habits or rituals that you find helpful with your podcasting? Um, so I was going to be reckless and say I just go with the flow. <laughs> and that, that, was, that was in the early days of the podcast. Nowadays, I have a comprehensive uh, content plan and schedule for the guests and 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 all that so I, I i just try to be as consistent as possible not to burn out um mm -hmm. if you noticed in, if you notice in the end episodes we used to have like three episodes three episodes in a month but now we do one or two in a month so as so that we allow enough time for people to catch up for people to listen and we don't overload the audience so to speak. And also it allows us time to actually source good guests. It allows us time to do good editing where the sound is proper, you can hear correctly, allow our guests to also mentally prepare that they'll be on a podcast, dishing out the inside scoop of the reality of their careers. And that has allowed us to give much more quality to our fans and our audience. Um, another thing of releasing the shit of content, consistency, but also just maintaining the 
lightness and airiness of the podcast. You don't want it to be too stuffed. It's very serious content. Granted, we, we are a serious podcast. We're not just never own. But um, allowing people to hear stories from a lens that doesn't make them feel judged or feel like they're not doing enough, things I feel like they're not supposed to feel a certain thing. We allow an openness that is welcoming to everyone. Yes. I think those are the three things, the three strategies that we try to implicate into the production and the, you know, the platform. And we, I can't say that I have all the answers now. We keep learning and growing. Maybe in the next few days, I'll tell you, no, we are not in a longer latent fun. We decided to take this route of being much more serious. But um, for now, that's that's what I would say. Okay. And so... Um, season one of the Sunset World podcast is coming to an end. Um, are there any new exciting projects for season two that you'd like to share with us? Now, what would be defining that? <laughs> if, if, I will be, yeah, I don't want to give you any spoiler, but what I can tell you is that it's going to be better and bigger. So, be on the lookout. They are coming to a streaming platform near you or on your phone. Need advice. Um, yeah, I, I. What what can I say? That the best thing is that now I'm not doing this as a one-man show. Uh, doing things by yourself can be very, you know, as much as I enjoy it, can be very tiring. And there's only so many people. This can let me request that. There's only as big a network as I can have by myself. But incorporating a co-host will be helping out with some of the episode, um, and really having our audience also be part of the journey by you know suggesting people they want to see, so that we reach out to them. Really having everyone be a part of this process. I think that's what season two is going to be big on. So you might not only be hearing me um, on the episodes, although I'll still do a majority of them, but having extra help is going to really, really take this to our ordinary level. Okay, well, so um, you've heard it from Laura. Uh, watch out for season two of Science in Real Life. It's going to be bigger and better. Um, so as we come to a close, I would like to ask you a few more questions. And this is um, with regard to how we can other people can find your podcast and also, um, uh, yeah. So basically, what's the best way for your audience to? Uh, connect with you to get in touch with you and to um, stay updated on what's um, on the next episodes for this podcast. Okay. So on every single episode, we usually leave a description in the show notes. So there you can always find our email if you like the personal touch. But you can always leave a comment on any streaming platform that you're using or any of our social media handles. So we are the Science in Real Life podcast on Instagram and LinkedIn. And then we are at Science by RL podcast on Twitter. And we are we are always very willing to engage with the people that reach out to us. So don't be afraid to do that. Reach out. Even if you, you yourself would like to nominate yourself to be featured in the podcast we are always looking to tell your story from your perspective uh, so that people can hear it and maybe you know do whatever you will with that information yeah so reach out to us our communication channels are very very open to everyone that comes across our content all right so finally is there anything else you'd like to share with your listeners or any advice you'd give to potential podcasters? To our listeners, 
thank you thank you thank you thank you we are because you are like you tapping in sharing with us um your feedback your points of concern engaging the content listening to the stories nominating people for the pod has really been the best part of doing this or can be yeah the best part of doing this and to people who are upcoming who want to start i will just reiterate what shavon said in episode eight definitely go for it you are never too underequipped to begin and yeah with this i think there's uh, an ongoing meme that says everyone now has a mic and is doing a podcast yeah, which, sure. might, which might be true like uh think of what unique value proposition you bring to the game and whatever your subject matter will be how do you want it to resonate with people who are listening and i think a bigger selling push for you to continue doing this would be if it stems from your own experiences so for me the reason i keep doing this i keep pushing i want to like probably have 50 seasons of this like Grey's Anatomy is because this is this was something I was truly lacking this is something that I did resonate with not having these experiences being at my reach so every time I create an episode I feel like yes this is answering a need that I did have so God forbid but if tomorrow everyone stops listening I still have myself to continue to listen to the things that I'm producing. So have a good funding proposition. Be your biggest number one fan. Create something that truly resonates with you. The audience will come eventually. And yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely times a million. Go for it. Don't even do not be debating with yourself. Just go for it and why not it? Keep planning, keep growing, keep um, understand the trends of the industry because this is a whole industry as well. So learn learn what's what's good, what's not, and all the other communications and marketing perspectives will come into play because at the end of it, if you're just creating to listen by yourself, then okay, of course the impact is there, but like you want as many people as possible to listen and engage. So, yeah, go for it. All right, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, that's the end. That's all the questions I had for you today. It was amazing being on the board. Thank you for having me. And yeah, see you in season two. Yeah, you actually did well. Um, applause for you being oh, for your God. first and posting gig. I know. How did I do? How did it, I do? Can I start my own podcast? Yes, you can. You actually can. Um, yeah, thank you for making light and fun and sticking to the blueprint. That is what we do. And yeah, some, some maybe, maybe some fun facts about you that you'd like to share with the audience. Not that they've been hearing your voice the whole time. Fun fact. Oh my god. Um, so, fun fact is that besides being a bioinformatician, I also double up as an IELTS coach. Yeah, as an IELTS coach and I've been doing that for quite a number of years and yeah, so bioinformatics is my first love and very close to it is teaching. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Again, what Laura said about being multifaceted, you can do everything you want to do. So, yeah. That's true. I think there's a special place for people who have been called to be teachers. So, for you all. <laughs> okay, um, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for taking your time to do this. For even actually agreeing to do this. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone who's listening, who's listening has gotten to know me a little bit a little bit better, gotten to understand why the Science and Real Life podcast is what it is. So thank you everyone and see you in season two.